Hello, my name is Keith Holloman. This is my wife, Kathy, and my son, Kendall. Our scripture reading today is found in Matthew 1, 18 through 21. Let us stand for the reading of our God's word. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And then let's turn to Mark 8, 34 through 38, and hear how Jesus calls people to find that salvation in a new life in him. Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross to follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me or for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Kendall, I might just have you come up here and preach this sermon. Man, I heard the word of God. All right, this is the third uh, Advent Sunday. Uh, Here at Lake, we've named this Angels and Shepherds Sunday. So I've decided I, I would focus our attention for a few minutes at the beginning on a man who did not... Uh, get an angel's visit about some very uh, difficult news. Now, his fiancée, Mary, had uh, an angel visit her and sort of prepared her for, for some really challenging news. But Joseph didn't hear it. His, his first learning of the fact that, that his fiancée was pregnant came from, from Mary herself. Now, um, I've, I've wondered how that first conversation went. And Mel Lorenz, who has written this devotional that many of us are reading, called Christmas Joy, has tried to help us to imagine it. Here's what he said. Uh, What was that first conversation like? Uh, No, she hadn't slept with another man. Yes, she was pregnant. And yes, a spiritual being had told her she would conceive by a unique act of God. And as if that were not enough, the child in her would be the savior of the world. Now, let me ask you this, folks. Would you have believed her? (laughs) I got one resounding no. You spoke for the rest of us. Whoever said that? Um, But, all right. What if this would be a person you knew well, and this person had always been truthful, had always told the truth? 
I, I want you to, to envision somebody right now that you know well, that, that you've always found to be truthful, and then that person comes to you and tells you something that just seems to be absolutely impossible. I mean, what are the options that you have? Um, one, that she's lying to you. But then you think, she hasn't lied to me before. Uh, maybe that's not it. Two, she's crazy. <laughs> she, she's out of touch with reality, but she seems so sane. So maybe, what else, what other options? Third, is it possible that some things are possible that we didn't think were possible? Do we have to somehow stretch our world view in such a way that maybe some things that we didn't think were po- It all depends on the truthfulness and credibility of the person, right? Now that brings us today to the message I want to look at this, this uh, third Sunday of Advent where Jesus himself in Mark chapter 8 and in the text that Kendall read for us comes and he says things that sound absolutely impossible. I mean, the Bible had been saying for a long time that a day would come when God is going to make everything in this broken, hurting, darkened world, He's going to make it all right. Everything that is broken will be reconciled, brought back together. Everything hostile will be, peace will be there. And Jesus one day steps in and He says, I am the one who, through whom all this is going to happen. Uh, the life of God that's coming into this world, it comes through me. I am the one who can give anyone, anywhere, the eternal life of God. And in fact, in verse 38, essentially what he says is, the eternal destiny of every person in this world depends upon what they do with me. Now come on. Uh, If I got up here and preached that to you right now, what would you do? You'd probably have me committed, right? Or... You would wonder about that. And yet, here we are, 2,000 years after Jesus had said that, and many, many people all across history and in every nation of this world have come to the conclusion that Jesus, when he says these kinds of things, is to be believed. And your pastor is one of those. I'll just tell you, I know it's my job to be a preacher, but I am a follower of Jesus. I believe what he said. So today I want us to think about that. How did Jesus go about getting a hearing for that message so that people actually believed him and followed him? Um, As that message comes today, how should we respond to it? And is there something in the way that Jesus went about his work that should be the example to us for how we might go out into the world, even from this service, carrying the healing and reconciling power that comes in Jesus? So that's, that's what I want us to think about. You know, last week when Grace and Matt unexpectedly showed up, it kind of turned my sermon series topsy-turvy. So I had to divide two sermons into one or one sermon into two or how, whatever I did. It cha- so today, I, I just want to come back and think about these things because I think these are so important. So, so first, I want us to pause for a moment and ask, how did Jesus go about his reconciling work in such a way that people believed him and have found life in him. Because I have so often uh, reflected on the fact that Jesus waited so long before Matthew, Mark 8, 34, 38 come. He waited so long before he finally just said, okay, listen to me. You have to change your life. You've got to place your trust in me if you're going to find life. So as you read through the story, I, I've just wondered about that. Um, Mark 1.1, 1, 1. 
we find out who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And then as over the last two weeks I've pointed out, Jesus does these incredible things for eight chapters. He does what only God can do. And what he shows is that he has authority and he has power over everything in this world, that there is no difficulty, no problem, no kingdom in this world that Jesus is not greater than, that he doesn't have authority over. So, so natural disasters, uh, like we've had, floods and, and, uh, and a tornado, he has authority over all of that. Uh, d- demonic powers, evil spirits, he has power over all of that. There's nothing to be feared. Disease of the worst kinds, he has power over that. Even death. Th- there is no problem in this world that Jesus is not greater than. So he takes eight chapters to show that. And then in addition to that, alongside of that, we watch how he deals with individual people. This powerful Jesus loves people. He is good. He enters into the lives and the pain of people. And, and when people come to him in humility and faith, they always find welcome and they always find blessing. It's only the proud who are sent away. It is so beautiful that when people read the life of Jesus and always have read the life of Jesus, people are so drawn to him. Um, I've, I've learned this in a new way over the last couple of years since I've had grandchildren. When I get back to Chicago and read Bible stories at night to my grandchildren, I just see... When I read about Jesus, they just love him. They just love him. And so do I. So that, that's how it starts. Jesus is greater than any of the difficulties that are there. And he's also loving and good. He's willing to use his power to, to do something about the problem. So as I've thought about this, it, it reminded me about what King David said one day when he was having some of the greatest problems in his entire life. And he writes a poem about it. It's in Psalm 62. In verses 11 and 12, at the very end, he just thinks about God. And he says this, uh, One thing God has spoken, two have I heard. Now, that's a very Jewish way of talking about things. Uh, It's really that until you hear both of the two things, you don't understand the one thing. They're two sides of the same coin, you see. One thing God has spoken, two have I heard. What are they? Number one, that you, O God, are strong. And that you, O Lord, are loving or good. The word is hesed, uh, faithful in your goodness and love toward us. So here's the way I read it now. How did Jesus go about his work? He entered into this world, took on human flesh, experienced what you and I experienced. He demonstrated his capability, his power, his strength over every problem that we would ever encounter. And then he demonstrated his goodness and love. So uh, credibility truthfulness, trustworthiness. People should have seen it if they had eyes to see it. And then one day he came to the point to do what what has to be done. You know I love you, he said, so I'm going to die for you. But I've got to tell you this. If you're going to find life, you've got to change your ways. (laughs) And and you've got to place your faith in me. And you've got to follow me by faith, by trust, wherever I lead you. it's It's a huge call. Huge claims Jesus is making here. And yet we know millions and millions and millions of people have followed him and have found it to be true. Have found it to be true. So uh, the question that I start with is that one, how did Jesus do his work? And it seems to me what he did is he took the time to enter into the world, enter into lives, uh, to, to show people that that he, he's not there to condemn them, but he, he's not going to leave us where we are, you know. And then one day he said, I love you so much, I've got to call you. 
to surrender your whole life to me. Now, if you'd been there that day, Mark 8, 34 to 38, when Jesus does this, it says, if anyone will come after me, give, give everything up and follow me, what would you have done? Would you have followed him? <laughs> All right, so that's the second question. Uh, how should this affect you and me? Because I'll just tell you, it becomes very clear as you read the rest of the New Testament that what Jesus called those disciples and the crowds to do on that day is what he calls all of us to do. And that when you and I go out and are witnesses to him in this world, he calls us to, to love people and want the best for people as Jesus did. But there will be a time where we have to call people to follow Jesus. And when you hear what he says here, that it's what you do with me that determines whether you will find life instead of walking away from God and leaving God out of your life and having an eternity without God, you must respond and begin following me. You know that it isn't just to the world out there, it's to you and me, right? So often, and it's made its way into the church, I'll start this way. Everybody in our world knows that there are things in our world that are messed up. So you go into the news broadcasts and everybody tells you that the world's messed up. And, and they always blame everything else out here in the world, right? It's, it's that other party, it's that other group, it's that other group of people uh, that do it. And, and that same way of thinking makes its way into the church. So easily we look at our world and say it's all out there. And yes, it is out there. Uh, the, the people of our world have walked away from God and the systems of our world, the structures of our world, the authorities of our world are all permeated by centuries of people walking away from God. Um, so, but when Jesus deals with people and he deals with you and me, he tells us we have to start inside our own souls. And he's really suggesting that it isn't just the world out there that needs forgiveness of the past. And, and, and somebody to deal with the shame and guilt that is there and, and healing from the wounds that have caused because people have walked away from God and, and a different life in the future. It's not just out there. It's you and me. Can I have a witness? Anybody else agree with him? In, in this? That's what he's suggesting here. In one of the greatest texts in the Bible about God's readiness to reconcile us all to himself is Colossians 1, 19 to 23. And this is the verdict that is given. God turns and he says, you were alienated from God. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Just what I talked about last week. We think the things of this world, we want things for ourselves and it makes us turn away from ever having God be God in our lives and it leads us into evil behavior. We need a new life. And Jesus is saying, I have come to give it to you. But he breaks in and he says, but you must, you must follow me. So as I've thought about the Christmas stories this year, um, I thought that our Christmas major Christmas stories kind of have it wrong. So as you read the, uh, like a Dickens' Christmas Carol, all of us know that Ebenezer Scrooge needs to change his life, right? You know that. But Jesus would turn and say, Bob Cratchit does too, you see? And Tiny Tim. Or, or let's take uh, uh, Dr. Seuss. Uh, if you have children. And, and, and the, everybody knows that the Grinch had to change his ways. But Jesus would turn and say, Mary Lou, who? You do too. That, that's what he'd say. And so he comes to church and we say, well, those people, the world out there, they need to change their ways. And God says, start with yourself. I love you. I'm ready to die for you. Uh, will you fall? And, and the call that he makes to us 
those three pieces. I, I suggested them last week. Deny yourself. That means I lose control. It means I lose control. Uh, do you like to lose control? We've, we've got to believe Jesus when he says, if I take control, I can control better than you. We've got to believe that. And, and if you think I've, I've got to have this in order to have, be happy, do you, do you trust me when I say to you, you have to have me in order to be happy? And if I call you away from that, I must call you sometimes away from that, that you're going to not, you'll never lose your life, you'll find life. Deny yourself. The question that comes to us, do we believe him? It goes, against, it goes against our human flesh. It goes against what our consumerist nation tells us. But it is what Jesus says. He says, deny yourself. Take up a cross. Follow me. Take up a cross. I've already mentioned that. that that's really talking about the scorn and scoffing as, as the criminal would be carrying a cross toward their own crucifixion. People would say there's no future for that person. And just scorning and scoffing them. And sometimes when we follow Jesus, even, even those close to us can't figure out why we're doing that. Why would you give up being this in order simply to be a missionary or whatever? Whatever God may call us to be or wherever he would call us to do. Sometimes we can just be mocked for that. Jesus says, take that up if I call and, and follow me. The, the shocking thing about that phrase is that if you look at Mark 8, just before verse 34... Pull back, and Jesus had just said, I'm going to die. Now, he's going to die for us, and he also said he's going to defeat death, but I'm going to die. Now, follow me. Now, you can see why they were so shocked by this. Now, I'm going to be having so much of my family home uh, this Christmas season, and uh, we often have the house full, um, and sometimes I'll, I'll kind of yell out into the house, I'm headed out. Anybody want to go with me? And, uh, and, and they'll say, where are you going? And, and if I say, I'm going to the ice cream shop, they're in. They're in. Or if, if I'm going to eat supermarket, or if I'm going to Disneyland, you know, if I, where I'm going. Can you imagine? Where are you going? I'm going to die. Well, let us think about that for a while. You see, then you begin, you see, you put it that way, don't you begin to see what is happening here? But Jesus says, if you will follow me wherever I lead you and whatever I ask you to do, trust me, you'll find your life. And if you hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. You're going to think that's where I'm going to find it. He says, no, 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 no. If you hold on to that and you don't trust me, you're going to lose it. But if you follow me, and if you lose all of that for my sake in the gospel, you're going to find your life. And so the question comes, when he makes such enormous claims to you and me, do we believe him? Do you believe him? Do you believe him? Last week on social media, uh, I posed a question, and many of you weighed in on it, some profound answers, and here's the question I put up. What stops us from surrendering the broken areas of our lives to Jesus? Which means acknowledging that they are there, things that are wrong, things that are broken. What, it, what keeps us from surrendering the broken areas of our lives to Jesus? Is it that we don't think he's worthy, that, that he will wreck us, that he will condemn us? Uh, the answers <clears throat> were so insightful for me. Uh, one person wrote, fear of the unknown. 
we know our own brokenness and we've adapted to it. What's he going to have me do? I think that's right. Do you think that person had an insight? Yes, you know the answer is yes. Uh, Second, and this one went deep into my soul as a pastor, the fear that if we open up our lives and, and bring them, that we will be judged and condemned for the exposure. And the point of this one was that um, even in the church, you know the church is meant by God to be the grace-filled place where we're able to open up everything that happens in our lives, the shame that is there, that we're even ashamed and guilt. And we're going to have a group of people who have all done the same. And, and so this is a place where we should be able to do that because until things come into the light, you know, healing cannot happen and yet the sad part is so often the church has become a place where it's so hard for us to do that brothers and sisters isn't a church a place where all of us have just fallen before the cross said apart from your death and resurrection there's no hope for me you and I are here we have nothing to be proud of except proud of the fact that God loves me and gave his life for me Uh, there's no place for self-righteousness among us I'm praying so much that that even this series of messages, God will continue to do his work among us. Because I I think that this person was right. That sometimes if we can't find a place where we can just open that up, fear of uh, that will be judged. Or, or, Or a third was similar to it, embarrassment, shame, guilt, fear of what people will think of us. Another one was fear of failure again. Many of us have been to church so many times, right? And we brought something to Jesus and we, we just pick it right back up the next week. I think every time at communion, don't I say something like one of the hardest things we wonder about is the last time we had communion, you brought this sin to the Lord and you said, I'll give it to you, Lord, set me free. And you've engaged in it ever since. Can you bring it back to him? And I, do you remember, I always point out the blood of Christ is sufficient for your sin. You come to him, he will start all over with you again. But I, I do understand this matter of how failure makes us so that we're, we find it very hard to say, here I am again, Lord, will you take me? And then the last one, and one that I, I, I hadn't put down, but I'll tell you, it's because I think I, I've been too educated. I think sometimes when we've had too much education, we don't believe that there is real personal evil in this world. And someone wrote the fact that the enemy does not want us to expose our sin because he knows the first step in healing is that things in our lives have to come out into the light. So, brothers and sisters, at the end of this point, can I stop for a moment? And and in your worship folder, there should be a blank sheet of paper. If not, just find one. Or you can take out your phone and find the memo section. Um, I want you to make a new commitment to Jesus right now in the light of his word. He tells you, here's how you have life. Deny yourself, take up a cross, follow me. Is, is there anything right now, today, that you're finding hard to surrender to Jesus? Maybe it's a relationship that you know is not, that is not healthy, and yet it's become so ingrained in your hopes and your dreaming and your thinking, you can't imagine life without that. Maybe it is an addiction or a practice that just has such a grip on you and, and you wonder, can I really give that? Maybe it's something good. Uh, it, remember last week I used that Greek word epithumia? That's the word for longing, craving. 
sometimes, and, and it's a word that Pastor Tim Keller says we use it for overly desiring something good. So that, um, you know, our health is something good, but we just say, I've got to have that or I'm not going to be happy. Uh, it could be a thousand different good things that we put into the place of God. Uh, John Calvin said, this human heart is an idle factory. So we, we might give one thing to the Lord the next morning. We, don't we wake up and we come up with something else that we've got to have and we put into God's place? Will you write that down? Will you write that down? At the end of the service, you can come and just bring that and put that in the cross if the Lord so leads you. But right now, I just say, give that to the Lord. Tell Him that you will give that to Him and trust Him to give you the life that He promises to give to you. Jesus says, I promise you that if you follow me, you will find your life. Do you believe him? Is he believable? Will you trust him? And now, one of the points I've wanted to make so deeply this morning is that where you see some of that brokenness inside of yourself, know that Jesus will do what he always does. He'll enter in. He'll, he'll do it lovingly. Strongly, but lovingly. And he'll begin to bring about healing and a new future. But then he sends us out, even while he's doing his work in us. And sometimes we feel so weak, right? <laughs> he sends us out to tell other people, I'm finding hope in Christ, you can too. So, so how do we go about that? I've been, I've been thinking about all these things. Those of you who are visiting in the cross and down here on these baskets, we've been putting these, either people we are praying will be made right with God or people from whom we are broken, that we pray that that thing will be reconciled. And I have thought that of so many of those areas of brokenness in our lives, that brokenness has come because we have broken hearts. So many of us have broken hearts because re relationships that are important to us aren't the way they should be. It could be in our marriages. It could be with our children. It could be with our parents. You know what I'm talking about, right? It could be with a friendship. And, uh, and I'm here saying the way that Jesus goes about it is that he says, I'll take the first step. And I'm urging us to learn to take whatever that first step is and, and to pray that the Spirit of God might do more than we could anticipate. So I, I, the last question I want to ask is, how do, how do we go about that? To go out and be the ambassadors of reconciliation. Well, I think we have to start where he did. Where he took time to make sure that he established that he was a credible, trustworthy person. That he actually, when he was going to call people, change your life. He wasn't doing that because he wanted to ruin their lives. That he was going to die for people. So he wasn't going to call them to a life that did anything other than give them the life that God had created for them. And so we have to examine our own hearts and because sometimes when there is a broken relationship, we really get mad at that person and we think it's all their fault. And, and Jesus says you've got to long for things to be better for them. We, we've got to pray that God will give us a love for those from whom we are broken that won't just think, I, I wish somebody would zap that person but, or, 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 or I've got to prove that I'm right but instead that I'm ready to enter in and absorb some of the challenges that are there. We need to enter in. That's what Jesus did. Now make note of this. That's not the way the world models dealing with brokenness, is it? Um, how, how does the world model it? Did, did you watch the, the last campaigns politically? 
unbelievable. Those ads, <clears throat> no matter which person were, the other one says, essentially, everybody who runs for any office in America must be a Nazi or worse. Because when you see those ads, you just say such awful things and you can't agree with anything that anybody else says. And that same notion, you find it in the way that often media report things. And you find it in the, in the chats online, don't you? You just see how divided and broken with the things that have happened in our country and in Ferguson and, and New York and Cleveland. You read online and it's just amazing. What, what happens is we don't talk to people, we talk at people. And, and instead of listening to somebody uh, that might say, have you thought about a different perspective? Uh, we just listen to people we agree with. And, and when that happens, we just get further entrenched in our own views and the walls get to be bigger. So, so listen to me. When I was a young pastor, um, I would sometimes have people come in for marriage counseling. And I remember, I, 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 originally I would just see people separately. So the husband would come in. He would lay out the whole problem in front of me. And I'll tell you, I knew what the problem was. I knew what she had to do. I knew all the things that she hadn't listened to and all the things that she wasn't doing. That I knew it. I mean, it was all so clear. It was all so rational and well explained to me. And then the next day, she would come in. It was like the whole world was exploded. I, th- I felt, oh, this is much deeper. This is much more complex. And, and it wasn't necessarily that, that he had lied to me. It's just that when you only look at one side of the issue... You don't see very much. We are limited in our perspective as human beings. The only one who saw fully was Jesus. And even he took time to enter in and to develop relationships first. So I tell you, we've got to learn from this. We've got to enter in and and listen to other sides of these these questions. uh, And we will find that we, I think, will grow to be closer to the way Jesus was. We'll have more understanding than we would have if we only spend time with people we agree with. I got one kind of amen. I got one true, well, I think that's true, you know, kind of mildly. All right, so I decided I had to apply this to myself. And, and one of the biggest divisions nationally, I've already alluded to it, is that it's very clear to me that the way my brothers and sisters of color are perceiving what has happened in Ferguson and New York and Cleveland is very different from what many of the rest of us are seeing. So you know what I did on Friday? I had other things to do, but I just thought I was going to get on the phone. God has blessed me with cherished, trusted friendships with uh, pastors of color. And so I called uh, Philadelphia. Uh, I got us together uh, Chicago, uh, uh, one pastor in Boston, and in, a couple here in, in L.A. And, and just laid out in front of them. Uh, help me to see more than I see. Is what I say. Let's, let's talk about this together. I'm not going to go over this whole conversation. It was ours. So you're not going to stay that long, are you? There I get an amen. Um, but I'll tell you a little bit of what happened. Uh, we're, pre- we're pastors. So we, we started by saying, this whole world's messed up. Everybody needs to repent. You know, that's where, that's where we preachers begin. <laughs> this whole world messed up, and, and that's made its ways into everybody's life and into all the systems of this world, and we've got to call our people to repent. You know, so we, we all sort of started there. And then we started pulling back and thinking about how we look at all of this false in the world, recognizing that if we're just looking for what's wrong in that other person, we'll find it. We will find it. Um, and so some of the discussion came up. Uh, one of the pastors said to me, 
well, um, we think that you just sort of look at us as, as brothers and, and say, well, there goes those black people again. They're always bringing up the history. They'll never draw the line. And look, they're really wrong because you see the protesters are d- destroying their own businesses, their own neighborhoods anyway, so don't listen to them. And he said, okay, and we look at you and say, don't you realize that this happened to me and my father and my father's father and my father's 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 father? That, that this has been a, a way of life that, that has gone on for a long time? And we began to, to recognize, yes, it, it's not that everybody who is involved in a place of, of, of police authority is going to profile people. Into, in fact, one of the pastors, one of them in Chicago, had three of his deacons were cops for the Chicago Police Department. So he said, we, we've got to recognize that. And you, and, and you, but on the other side, you can't think that every protester has just done this in a selfish way and it's just out for personal gain and it's going to destroy the neighborhood. So we decided, as we kept talking about this thing, that the only real hope we see is the church actually to be the church. Um, a place where even though the world is yelling at one another, that we actually can come together and say, talk to me, help me to see more than I see. And that one can honestly say, hey, this bothers me. And, and, and that seems wrong. And, and the, this one can say, but don't you realize this bothers me? And that seems wrong. And as we submit to the cross and, and to Jesus and say, Lord, shape our thinking, we should move closer together. And maybe we'll be able to come to unity and show a broken world that the only one who can truly reconcile is the one who defeated a death by a resurrection and gives a spirit to us. Now, the other point that, that we talked about is they said this matter of empathy is what Christians have to engage in. You may never have experienced that, that you felt like somebody just grabbed you or, or came and threatened you so that you felt like you had to react but, but that's happened to so many of us. And so this passage that I talked to you about last week, the, the ability to mourn with our brothers who mourn and rejoice with our brothers who rejoice, came up. And one of the pastors, and I'll tell you, he's a good friend. He's preached here at the church. I'm not giving you names, but you can just kind of think about who this might be. He said, I've got to tell you a story, Doc. That's what he calls me. I've got to tell you a story, Doc. When I finished at, at Trinity, where I was the president at the se- seminary, and he was summa cum laude, I mean, that's the highest you can get. Uh, Masters of Divinity. The day he takes his degree home, he drives off campus in the north side of Chicago, and uh, a police car pulls behind him, pulls him off to the side, because he said he had uh, a problem with his license plate. It really wasn't true, but he had pulled him out of the car and then waited for two other police cars to come. Uh, they threatened him uh, at gunpoint. They, they um, uh, cuffed him took him down to the uh, police department. He was just terrorized. That, and um, he said, so when these things come up in other places, um, I'm not sure that they're always the best example, but and uh, the phrase he used, there is vicarious trauma. Vicarious trauma. I just, I felt, oh, what's happening? I feel everything that happened to me. And he said, what I would love to have is if, if, if my non black brothers and sisters would at least say I'm believable that, 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 that this is something that we experience and so I, I, here's what I asked him at the end what would they like an old white pastor like me to say to the church people I love that, that's you okay and here's what they said it would be beautiful 
if there would be more empathy and compassion coming from our non-black brothers and sisters in Christ. We think that our only hope in this world is the church of Jesus Christ because we've all humbled ourselves before the same Lord. We would just love to have more of our brothers and sisters engage with us so that we can talk together and then walk together toward righteousness and justice in our communities and in our world. We, we feel that God plants churches in neighborhoods to be his people and place of reconciliation. Anybody agree with that? We're not here as a, an amusement park or an entertainment center. We're here to be the place in whom and through whom God does his work. He's placed us here in this place at this time where all of this is happening. We have a great opportunity. And that if we across the divides that we see all around the world can say, oh, I feel some of those divides ourselves, but God has given me brothers and sisters, we're, we're going to come together. And what did Jesus say? It's when we demonstrate to the world our love for one another across all those things that usually divide people, people will know that we are Christians. Oh man, I get to preaching there. I, this is what I long for. And I think that that basic principle of what Jesus did applies to every kind of broken relationship. They seem so impossible, but not greater than the power of God. We've got to enter in and let people know that we really love and that we need to listen. And then we've got to have a certain time in our lives where we call to. And this will happen as it happened with Jesus. The way that you've been living, or the way that, that's what's destroying you and your family and your friendships. It might be the... We have to have courage and humility, right? To say the way you're running your business doesn't honor God. Or, or to say this insistence that you have that, that you're not going to follow Jesus unless you can also practice sex the way you want to. No, you just have to follow Jesus. Uh, uh, this matter of saying, but I've got to have this. I've got, no, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up a cross and follow me but who, so that whoever holds on to his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. So brothers and sisters, I've got to ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? I, I'm just, you know this that to say that means that he's going to mess with your comfort zones. Doesn't, he, doesn't Jesus do... What kind of a Christmas sermon is this? What kind of a Christmas sermon? But he does that. It's a paradox what he says, of course, but isn't it true? Everybody knows that life isn't worth living until you found something worth living for. And it's also true that you haven't found something worth living for until you found something worth dying for. And I declare to you that when you find Jesus, you find someone worth living for and dying for to his glory. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, I... I pray I have been faithful to your word.
to the call that Jesus made to us all. Where I have been, Father, take this, your word, and work in our hearts and through the power of your Holy Spirit, change us into the kind of people that when people see us, they know you're at work. Father, for us as a church, draw us together. Do your reconciling work. Draw us together so that even as you placed us here in the San Gabriel Valley to be your witnesses, that people will see us and as we walk together in what is usually a broken world, as we walk together, they will know that we're yours because of our love for one another. Father, I pray, I, I pray for the many who have come who are really hurting because of broken relationships in their families or marriages or friendships or at work. Father, renew hope where people have given up hope. Remind them that you are who you say you are. You are strong and you are good. Renew our hope. And then, Father, I, I just pray that that even though we sometimes feel very weak representatives of you, that we know you go with us because your spirit is with us. So give us a love for the people that you bring across our paths. Give us a humility so that we never encounter a person with pride. Give us wisdom to know what to say. And then give us courage, Father. Give us courage that we might speak your words. Father, change us and then send us from this place as your agents of change. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.